Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. We're the professional association for UK film and TV directors. No matter the format, no matter the genre, our featured directors share their approach to the craft. We hope you enjoy. Hi, everybody. You hear me fine, right? Um, I'm Sean. I'm thrilled to be here with Bradley. Hi. Um, I feel uh, I've seen the movie twice already, and I can't remember last time. I forced him to see it. Oh, and it was not mandatory. Um, it was by choice. And uh, I feel like you performed so many roles on this film, director, co-writer, actor, producer. But I'm told this is a room of fellow filmmakers, correct? So we're gonna, I'm going to try and be disciplined and, and focus on director-centric stuff that uh, interests me in regards to the work and this, I think, masterful movie. Let's start just on a technical basis. You made a lot of choices uh, early on, I assume, regarding just format and form, uh, ranging from to shoot on film versus digitally, aspect ratio, of which you have, I think, two in the picture, the shift from black and white to color. Um, in any order, I'm curious at what point those decisions evolved and maybe if you remember what the rationale was for yeah. them. Yeah. First of all, thank you for being here. This is an awesome theater. I've never been here before. Um, thanks. <laughs> Uh, that, those are a lot of questions, and uh, I'll try to uh, unpack all of it. Yeah. Um, good questions, yeah. Thank you, but for <laughs> now on, I won't bundle them. No, 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 be all right. I, I tried to... I, it's overwhelming, but that's the beautiful thing, I think, about tackling this movie and Lenny as a subject matter. Really, their relationship was... Uh, it, it, it is a lot of things at once coming at, at, at one. Uh, his, 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 you know, artistry. And um, early on, I realized that... I was going to have to be fearless in all of those ways, I think, in order to have a shot at capturing any sort of truth that would reflect uh, this man. And, and then in terms of what, what, how could I best reflect this man, it really was this relationship. And that was through research. Uh, and then once I had that North Star that, that, that it's a movie about marriage, I always knew that it was going to be nuclear because of the music, his music. And I thought, what better way than to make it one musical element? So those are things that I, the best way, like, I'm just trying to think, like, the, so Star is Born was a movie I made before this. And I kept thinking, of, for some reason, it's uh, visually, I just thought it's people coming, it's at, from either side, in, from the left side of frame or right side of frame. That's sort of the movie. And this movie, because it's all about people, there's a lot of sort of profiles and like half of one's personality. The dark, the dark side, or something they're ashamed of. This was all about his relationship to God and the world, and that's why we meet him in the heavens in the beginning. And once I learned that he was in Carnegie Hall, I thought, oh, this is perfect because God can summon him to come down, and that, and that's why I started thinking about this one-three-three uh, aspect ratio, also for conducting, because I wanted to be able to show the baton, and you know, these halls are very vertical, and um, and again, this relationship between he and and the higher a higher power, uh, and also how we when I was doing research everything was in that one three three aspect ratio in black and white uh, that's sort of, and I want the audience to completely be immersed in the world not at all feeling safe or feel like they're watching a movie that's the goal so it was reflective of the time in which that was one of the things right yep. is one's memory of yep. that time period yep. to me at least is that aspect ratio and black and white um, 
and really after years of testing black and white film stock 22 Kodak, um, because I tried the red camera, we tested the monochromatic black and white uh, digital, we desaturated color and, and we A-beat it, you know, without knowing what it was, you know, the sort of blind. How far in advance of shooting are you doing those tests? Like three and a half, four years. And is it right, six years on this picture? Yeah, yeah. I think so, right? 17, 18, 19, 20, 22, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> I was in post on Stars Born. I was coloring it when um, when this started. Okay. Um, and so so that I knew, and then I thought there's something about um, the... It's like, what's at our disposal? It's, there's so many uh, tools at our disposal cinematically, and this film sort of dema demanded using all of them for story, and I just got very excited about all of it, and I thought... Well, it's a movie about marriage. It's going to, of these two, the, in order to tell that story, it has to span these five decades. Well, okay, there's a lot of cinematic dynamism that could occur here. Um, and also, I wanted to tackle things about public and private without doing it verbally, doing it cinematically. That's why so many of the compositions and so many of the times I put us as the viewer in the position we're in is because of our relationship to them as public figures. Uh, voyeuristic, all of those elements. Can um, I ask about real go, quick to do the, it? Uh, so then this idea of, for the movie to breathe when she passes, which is when it goes to 185. I was going to ask, yeah. when is that shift? That shift occurs when they're driving away out of East Hampton and then the Jaguar pulls up to REMs. It's the end of the world as we know it. Uh, and that's when we go into the 185 aspect ratio. But we're there in the beginning, too, mm -hmm. um, when he's uh, for the sort of prologue of the movie, the sort of overture in a way. I don't want to make you kind of unpack something that maybe was intuitive, but why post the death, Felicia is the name of his wife, correct? Yeah. What was the decision? Why at that point? Was this, you know... Why 185, you're saying? Correct. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the song says, um, um, the, the, the REM, for, she, they drive away, we dissolve, and it was, I always just wanted it to go into that 185, just sort of this idea of that, oh, can he breathe more now? Is he living his truest self? Um, is the the movie's asking that question? That's why, it, and he became sort of bigger, and and it just felt again, it just felt more um, grounded or, or more living in this space uh, uh, like a clown. What he says to to Tommy, you know, if it wasn't for Felicia, I'd be dressed like a clown, which we see when he leaves her, and then after her de death. I mean, it's subjective. Maybe it's not a clown. Clown, but it certainly color becomes yes, a more it, dominant know, element. Yeah. I notice also. I think you did extensive vocal work. It feels like literally the register of the voice. Yeah, it went down an octave. Also lowers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, post that point. I, if this is a room of directors, I, I got to call out the thing that just blew me away. And, and also, real quick, sorry. And okay. as he got older, um, just, just to finish the cut, it was no, no, please, yeah. they are here to hear uh, you uh, talk. Uh, just the, you know, his, his baton got longer as he got older because he couldn't raise his hands as high. So that also is part of technically why I felt like I could have the 185 aspect ratio because he wasn't going to do that, which we have in Mahler and Ely Cathedral. So when he teaches, is William, he's just living in a much more horizontal world as a man in this in this in this space. That's um, that's a so, fascinating answer. No. Um, uh, connected to the way that we engage with your movie. I feel like we all talk a lot about the oneer, the kind of mystique of the oneer, but it's come to mean generally kind of virtuosic, fairly self-announcing choreographed camera work, right? Long takes with dynamic camera work. This movie has more static, composition-based, unmoving oneers than any movie I've seen in years. 
certainly what comes to mind, the Thanksgiving Day argument, the visit to the doctor's office, the conversation where we're shooting down through kind of a wisteria trellis. I'm just curious, this use and the confidence, I have to say the audacious confidence, to not move the camera, to not feel like you need to. It's rare. I feel like it's increasingly rare. And I'm wondering where that decision came from. It all comes from uh, uh, not doing anything arbitrary. So then it doesn't feel so bold. It feels like what's the best decision for the story. And um, early on, I thought that every time we saw them together, they share a frame, the entire film. And the only time they don't is when they're apart. Uh, even in the Cherry Lane Theater, well, it's not the Cherry Lane, but when they're their first date, uh, it it is a two shots. It's just it's when one they're talking thing. outside that party. Uh, that's a tight that, two that, shot. That's right. Yeah, after they meet. Yes. Yeah. So from then, and then, and then when they go down and down the stairs to when she when she actually says you're a dragon, that's all one take basically, uh, where they're sharing the take. Um, that's a steady cam on the on the. Uh, with the so did you men. not want to separate them? I did not want to separate them. So that was coverage. one idea. Yeah, until they separate after the things, and then there's sort of these two testimonials. He's te he's testifying, so he thinks in such an honest way to the Thursday rehearsal to his audience, but he can't face us, the people that have been with him this whole movie, until he turns around and then he's dressed like the sailor that he was wanted to be, and you know that was sort of the idea. Again, this is just stuff for me. I mean, I don't know if anybody if it registers, but it's important that you at least know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and why you're doing it. That's a job. Uh, and then for her, she's finally come to grips with her truth. And that's why at the Palm Court, when she's in a, a Victorian cage, that's what she says to Mendy. Oh, you just want to put me like some exotic bird in this cage. And then that's why I chose the Palm Court because there's the, those, those four columns. So no matter what, she is trapped. Are these conversations years. you had with your DP? No, with myself. <laughs> with yourself. And and so when you <laughs> dove in with Maddie Labatique, your cinematographer, yeah. who did Star is Born as well. Yes. Um, did you come to him with some of these kind of the, the, the visual language? All of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, that, and, and we were able to work on it for years, which is wonderful. But um, this was one of those movies where um, it wasn't made in the editing room. Um, we, there's almost no cover. There's nothing on the cutting room floor of the scenes that I, they're I in. I did ask you this elsewhere. I, that Thanksgiving, that Snoopy float scene, which I think is, is really just as good a scene as I've seen in anything in a long time. Uh, any coverage just to cover your so, ass? So no, uh, but I did at any time that I was at working at a fear, which was the first day of shooting, which was the scene where he's teaching William. That's the first day of shooting. The first one of the shot. Last scenes of the movie. The, one of the last scenes, and the first shot we, the, our first setup was the jaguar coming into frame. Um, uh, that I did some coverage. Yet I always wanted him to be almost like a muppet there, and then coming up, and you know, sort of like giving giving William center stage, but he can't help himself. And by the end, he's like, you know, he goes, "Is it for me? Is it for me? You know, more." Um, it's like, oh, you are the same guy, um, in a beautiful way. Um, I could say, and he also learned about her. She says, "Kind, be kind to him." Because that's the last thing she says, kindness, kindness, kindness. To Speaking of her, the character, the performance, your second movie that you've ever directed, your second movie playing a lead role opposite a, just a titanic-scaled female character and performance, Lady Gaga and Stars Born, Carrie Mulligan, who is brilliant in this. Can you tell us a bit about casting, specifically casting Carrie, how it came to be Carrie, and then what your process was before shooting? Yeah, uh, 
well, first of all, there's, as we all know, as, as directors, that without the cast uh, and without the casting of these roles and people showing up and being prepared and giving their souls to the, to the project, you're, you're unable to be cinematically dexterous or even creative because you're spending all of your time just trying to salvage whatever time there's left in the day to get something worthwhile. Well, this was an example of having all unlimited time. It felt like an energy that I could dedicate to the cinema of it because she was just Felicia. So positive, so wonderful, so giving at the, at the stage of the movie where there was no script. And I just was beginning to talk to her about it in 2018. So do you knew early it was, Karen? Well, I knew that I wanted it to be, I, I knew she kept coming up in my head as I was doing research and seeing Felicia. She looked like Felicia. She sounded a ver- version of Felicia. I just kept thinking Carrie Mulligan. And then, and then I went to see her on a, on a play and then met with her for coffee soon after that. And then talked to her about this idea of making a movie about a marriage. That's one musical element. And then it would be f- symphonic and rhythm. And would she go on this journey with me? And she, so, so she began, she at least agreed to go on the journey. And then it was just um, more and more getting closer and closer and working harder and harder in the prep that she did. And until finally she showed up and she was, I mean, the only way that I could stay in that single shot for this Thanksgiving Day Parade is because she's such an assassin she actor. She also heard the music. That's the other thing is we had this primary source material of these voices that when they would speak. That's Steve Morrow, who's an incredible uh, sound mixer. Early on, I said, I want to make sure that we mic everybody because I want to write Josh Singer and I were going to write dialogue that overlaps uh, because so much of them talking to each other is like listening to music and often they talk over each other in the in these Gruen tapes we have these wonderful audio tapes of them talking on this summer vacation in 1968 that they went to Ancedonia, Italy and that really was the basis for a lot of the music of the language that we wrote and some that we literally took from like that Morrow interview if you go online you could see it I think I changed like three words the rest is is exactly they're what they're interviewed the, in their living room that's right yeah okay and so there, there is something specific in both your movies you've been a hyphenate you're in scenes as an actor. You're directing the picture. I, I'm wondering, do you immerse yourself and does your director self turn off between action and cut? Is part of you always watching? Are you rely, or are you in it with your scene partner and then you're relying on either your DP or playback or your AD or trusted? Yeah, I mean, I think I had the huge benefit of being an actor, for, or still I'm an actor, but uh, an actor for so many years on so many different sets, like 100 hours of television and, you know, movies and stuff. And um, you learn, I learned, you know, what, what works and what doesn't work for allowing me or enabling me to be my best self as an actor. And so often you're in the dressing, wherever you are, at craft service and from the walk from craft service to your mark, normally I find there's hindrances that you have to overcome in order to be open. So the thing that I keyed into a long time ago was how can I create an environment where it's actually the opposite, that when you're coming there, well, maybe you're always going to be there. Like, okay, let's get rid of chairs. So there's no chairs on set. There's no, like, I can't stand those chairs. So there's no chairs. No one has a chair. Um, There's no video village, because I don't know, as an actor, I'm always like, what are they... Yes. They, you know, and so there's no video village. If anybody wants to watch playback, you can go in the dit tent or you can, you know, get play. There's a clamshell that everybody can look at or certain department heads can have their iPad. Locked I mean, in. that's remarkable already. But as the director, how are you? I mean, I think this is astonishing. So how are you knowing when when you got it time to move? on? So 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 that's that aspect of creating an environment so that um 
that it just feels to me uh, safe and open for the actor is, and everybody's around, and then that people don't leave then because there's really nowhere to go, <laughs> and and uh, it's always a very as small a set as possible with as tiny a footprint as possible. Even like if they're trucks, almost spending the extra time to put them somewhere else, so that it just doesn't feel like you're walking through, you know, the Thunderdome to get to this, you know, scene where we're like here talking to each other, you know. Um, so that's one thing, and. And then it's this is, I've only realized how to talk about this like in the last 24 hours, but I really ask a lot of the actors because I, I am the care. So I'm Lenny. I'm talking like I am Lenny, but it's me. It's I'm not like what's an iPhone, but um, and it's not you can say Bradley, you know, something like that. But I am only him. I believe I'm directing in Lenny's yeah, voice. Yeah, so so at crew, so I come with Kazu in the morning at like one or two, and then by crew call a.m. By crew call, I'm Lenny, so that, and then I'm there at the set. We set up however long it'll take to set. I only set up one shot at a time. That's the other thing for this movie specifically. Um, I just wanted everybody to be focused on the one thing rather than even prepping, which, which I can understand is, you know, but everybody, I think, finally saw the benefit of it actually is the way to expedite time instead of like, well, just, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do this and go. It's like, no, 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 let's all just, mm. and then we'll move on. Yeah. Um, so we, I would spend as much time as it took, set everything up, and then once it was completely dialed in, like completely dialed, because they're all moves, there's really not coverage, then invite the actors in. And because I'm Lenny, I have such a leg up, truthfully. So they could come in and I just start talking to them, you know what I mean, and talking and thing, and it's like, and I would have hand signals with Scott Sakamoto, the A camera operator, and Steve Marr, the mixer. So we would always be able to visually see each other, and I, so I could call action non-verbally and roll speed non-verbally so that people wouldn't even really know that we're shooting. And I really learned that from Clint Eastwood. You know, he was like the master of that. I remember in American Sniper, Sienna Miller's first day was meeting Chris Kyle on the tarmac. And we're like, and he's like, yeah, we'll uh, go here. And uh, yeah, there he is. Go walk up there. And uh, she's like, okay. And she walks up. She comes back. She's like, so I just look at She's like, well, I'll see you Monday. <laughs> he shot it. He literally shot that. It was crazy. Wow. She came out. I was like, I know, man. This is crazy. <laughs> but wow. but but it really, it, it, if you're prepared, it serves you. Um, and uh, so I, I, it's not that. Well, actually, kind of is like that. Um, so, but as Lenny, I could then allow people because I'm sort of uh, jumping off a cliff. Really, I mean, I'm talking in this crazy way. I've got all this. I look like you know whatever the heck they're thinking, and but I'm doing it, uh, you know, with abandon. So I think that people felt free to to risk. They kind of had to, also. Uh, but I do this. I will direct as I'm acting, you know, it is, I will say Scott come in as I'm talking to them or something or, or like, you know, I mean, it's kind of crazy, <laughs> but, but I don't try to create an environment where we're not believing that there are cameras there. Yep. Like it's all one imaginary space that everybody's participating in. So just for like, for an example, when we, when she gets the diagnosis for cancer and I'm hugging her, you could see that it was a mistake. I wanted him to come in and Dolly, the best Dolly group in the world, Mango, was, he was pulling out. And for some reason, I could feel that he was pulling out even though I couldn't see it. So I'm hugging her. She's crying. We're, we're actually crying. And I'm saying, Mango, come in, right, that I had to take out. Wow. So I was like, I, fucking, I, think he's, I think he pulled out. I got to remind him. I said, remember. Because, you know, sometimes you, sure. everybody gets lost in it. Sure. You know, and it's like, no, 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 we got to come in. And so there was, it's, there's, you can see that. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> and I got to see it a third time. <laughs> shit. Uh, um, so stuff like that happened all the time, you know, uh, but 
I, I for me, I believed it because I was like, this is the, the illusion is everything. It's not just this. Actually, the imaginary circumstance is everything, and we're our characters all the time. And I I feel like that created an environment that everybody was just so open. Do you, did, did you rehearse before you shot? Uh, depending on what the scene was. I mean, a tremendous amount of rehearsal for the fancy free dance. We rehearsed for months for that. Um, but for, for example, the diagnosis scene... Um, that was my doctor for 12 years, Bernard Kruger, because I thought there's nothing worse than a guy pretending to be a doctor. Wow. <laughs> so it felt like a real yeah, doctor. He's a real doctor, yeah. I mean, he's telling the truth. Um, well, in an imaginary way, thank God. But um, uh, but because he was an actor, he had a hard time with the chair. What? <laughs> it was like, it took him forever to roll up. And I was like, <laughs> That's fantastic. My man, we're trying to do this in one. <laughs> the scene dies before you even get to her. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> Um, um, so, so we, we, we wound up doing that more than once because of certain elements, but no, I don't, I don't usually wonder, well, I, if you call it a rehearsal, but shoot the rehearsal. No, I'm talking about in prep. Many directors like to rehearse before they start shooting the movie. Oh, oh, I will. You do that or not? Um, I try to do a lot of preparation individually with each actor for their character. Conversation more than rehearsal. Yeah, uh, depends, but I'll read the script and, uh, you know, we'll sit around and read the script, not, not actually act it out but sort and discuss it and sort of talk through stuff i do love to do that um use actors as i'm writing yeah, yeah. you know sure. and i write a lot on it, the, the writing continues during I, the movie. that was a question were you rewriting constantly you, while you're shooting we're doing this scene today and oh no this doesn't work we're going to rewrite or this. is this better yeah you know because yep. when you come when you can walk onto the actual space and there's and there's people there's just all this there's new information and if you have the movie in your head, you're able to, well, what happens if we do this here? I mean, we had a whole section of the film we were going to shoot, but when we started shooting, we were able to get so much of that, I realized we didn't need it, and I just canceled it and used those days to spend more time in Fairfield. And that same thing happened with The Star is Born, where I, there was this whole sequence, but we shot this one scene, and I went, oh, we have it already. Like, for example, the scene where he's dancing with William to shout. There was a whole scene that we wrote where he takes, because that's Tanglewood, where he takes William to the same place that she proposes to him in the black and white, when she says, oh, life's not that serious. But when, we were, when I was shooting the scene, the actor, who's incredible, was just off camera, and I, did, I hadn't written this, but I went like this for him to come in, and so he was like, whoa. And he came in, and then we danced, and that wasn't in the script. You're and, dancing alone with the red light. That's right. And he comes into frame. And then, and then he was just off camera for me as the actor, and I went like this. As I'm also the director. director. <laughs> so he's like, I got to come in. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then Scott Sakamoto was up. He was incredible. Uh, we were on the, the – it, it just all worked, and we got it all in the dancing. And I was like, oh, we don't need to do anything else. Um, and so that often that occurred often. Yeah, well, I know we. I, I think we both are believers. The movie or the show is going to tell you what oh, no wants. Yes, and you got to listen to yes. the movie or the show. Um, so a lot has been written and said, rightfully, about that conducting scene. Yeah, um, which is amazing and and as amazing as the conducting is and i can't even imagine how scary and hard that was the scene with carrie in the wings was one of like six moments that wrecked me um but i have a question so if that's a very obviously daunting scene what is a scene or moment that was really hard or scary to you that is less obviously so 
Um, well, the first day I was terrified. I was, I mean, I was so terrified to be uh, Lenny in front of the crew. I was really, uh, I felt like an idiot. And uh, luckily I was smart. My best friend in the world plays Aaron Copeland since I'm 10 years old. And I knew that, and, and, and so he was there in Tanglewood. We started shooting in Tanglewood. So he and I stayed in a room together the night before. And I was like going over the lines with him for the scene of teaching William. And like, I remember being in the bathroom, like, I can't believe it. I'm going to fuck it this up. And then I also had my best friend from grad school play uh, Lenny's assistant, who when we arrived, I knew that. So the sh first shot, I was like, oh, this is my, one of my best friends in the world is in the car with me. And I even said, his name's Gabe Fazio who was also in A Star is Born, and we did Place Beyond the Pines together. He was like the best actor in, in our school. And um, so I, I had these anchors of love that I thought, well, I could just, you know, they're, they're, they're like family. So I was smart about that. Yes. Um, always know when to ask for help. That's key. And listen, that's for sure. Um, and then, but uh, that was terrifying. Just, just, I remember that walk. I came out of the trailer and I'm like walking up to that place where he runs out of the Jaguar and I'm seeing Mango, you know, the best dollar grip in the world, Scott Sakamoto, who's a Titan, you know, all these incredible people, yeah. artists. And then I'm going like, so what I want to do is, you know, and it's like, and like, are they going to, are they like going to just laugh hysterically? Like, bro, can you just direct us and then become him? You know, well, I could, so it just I, wouldn't have worked out. I wouldn't have believed it. It just, I don't know. It's just not the way it works. Is it know? because you didn't think you could parachute I, in and out? I don't think it's smart to do that. I think that it's, an, I mean, I learned that watching Christian Bale and American Hustle. I was like, oh, this just makes sense. And so ever since that movie, like uh, Jackson Maine directed A Star is Born you know, and, uh, yeah, so it's just, it, it's just easier. And I actually think it creates an, it would have been, an, I don't even, it wouldn't have been impossible. It would have taken way too much energy, by the way, to go back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Also, I couldn't not talk like him once I walked out of there. I mean, it was not a choice. Yeah. It, it didn't feel like a choice. It felt like I just got out of the way and then this thing happened. And, um, and, and how much do you storyboard? It's funny. It's a really good question. So in the stars born, they were so adamant at Warner Brothers that I storyboard. And I, I thought there's something about the written word even that I've gotten better at with writing. But to, writing down something visually, I feel like I'm, I'm committed to it in a way that doesn't feel as free as if I just keep it in my imagination. And the, th the exercise that I love to do from the moment I start writing a script is how, how many shots can I get in the film in my head before I lose the film? So and I do that almost every night for, for five years. Like, how far can I go? shot for shot through the film. And I, I don't start the movie until I can do the whole movie in my head. It'll change, but I could go shot for shot all the way through the film. And that's sort of how I storyboard. Um, you write that list down? I, every morning I'll, I'll write the list because it's a nightmare for every department. <laughs> yeah. Show the shape of the day to your yeah, crew. Always. But yeah. yeah, always. And the night before, and I'll text everybody ideas. So it's like it's like individual strands out to everybody yes. while also now we could do threads. But more shot great lists to be than like, storyboards. Oh, oh, no storyboards. Just shot lists. Got that's it. it. Lens. Uh, you know, uh, and then what camera, what device, that, that's it. Not camera, but whether it's going to be a jib arm or if we're going to do a dolly shot, it's going to be the techno crane, this lens, we'll do that first up, then we'll go here without anything more specific than that. So that implies that you've got a pretty good idea of the blocking before you're... Totally. No, no, all, all dialed in. Yeah. Do you feel, I know for those of us who don't star in our own movies or work, um, part of the dance is always, and you know this because you spent a lot more years so far as an actor than as a filmmaker, part of the dance is getting to the blocking that you want right. without 
making your actors feel like movable props mm. who are conforming to a shot list that you've already made. So here's what's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny. I've always been the kind of actor where I'm like, please just tell me how you want to do it. I've never been like, don't don't do it for me. I've never. I'm like, just do it. Let me let me like, great. I I don't feel that thing about like you're somehow encroaching upon my. I don't know. I just thought that. So that's how I treat it. Um, and it also benefits because I'm also the actor on the field. That's what's so unique about yes. it. It's very different. Yes. You know, there's not this outside force coming in. We're, we're, we're comrades. We're allies. Yeah. Then so I'm able to say like, you know, no, I think you're here. And then we're going to, the camera's going to be right here. And our, we get to start rolling. Yeah. So tell me about what happened yesterday. Literally, that's what it was. So you don't say action. Never. Never. Same on Star is Born? Yeah, never. Ever since Clint. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And is there things... Sorry, I'm all over the place, guys. Um, so hopefully hopefully we're not losing anyway. But I mean, we're here to talk shop, right? Um, you've made two movies. Are there things where you look... You've, you've made Maestro, you made Stars Born. Are there things... I mean, any of us who are lucky to make more than one episode of... By the way, first AD will say action for the dance sequences of I'm Out. You know, we okay. do have to say it at some points for the... For but not performance-driven... No, 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 no. ...actor scenes. no. Are there things, are there areas where you see your evolution as a filmmaker from Star is Born to Maestro? Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, I, like in every way. Is there something that you found incredibly challenging on Star is Born that is now coming to you with more flow? Yes. Um, well, I didn't even have the Technocrane as a tool in during stars born that i felt so but because i had done because a budget or fear of no no because i just didn't i wasn't aware of uh the, its capabilities until i did nightmare alley with guillermo del toro and i was like oh i really edu i was educated upon the use of the technocrane in intimate environments mm. and where it can be really beneficial um also i just i'm so curious i love learning so when i did a, a small role in paul thomas anderson's licorice pizza he was kind enough to let me go on his complete uh, lens quest for that film so I was able to go with him and we I watched so many tests of all these different lenses so I was just all of these things like oh there's all these paintbrushes and paints and colors and not actual paints and colors but metaphorically of things that can help me tell the story and also really it was in a Star is Born, I, there was a fuselage built already. There was a structure uh, script-wise. This was all from my head, so I felt so much freer cinematically. Again, this idea of not having... There's something when I put it down there that I feel like I'm married to it. But if I could keep everything here, which feels actually kind of soothing quite honestly, um, then, then I feel like I, have the, I can be bolder. And and I just have to say the only reason I was able to be so bold really was Lenny. That that's where that you know making a movie or making anything as a director. I don't know if you agree, but it could feel very lonely. You feel like such a part of something, and there's a group walking down the street together, and you're arm in arm. And the next second, you're like, "Where's everybody go?" <laughs> I don't know. That's my experience, and I always felt like I had Lenny with me, which was just such a blessing. And you also had his kids and his family. Actually, right? had them there, yeah. And they were really integrated partners in this. Never during the shooting of the yep. film, but um, in the script work, and then also in post, I would always have them over and show them scenes. I was so excited, yeah, and 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 also wanted, to, you know, it was a lot to deal with for them. And and I we all saw Scorsese's name on the movie, Spielberg's name on the movie. I know they both at various points had developed this to make themselves. What was their 
you know, it's always an interesting thing when a fellow filmmaker, especially legendary ones, the two, arguably the two biggest legendary ones are your producers. Did you feel, what was it full creative autonomy? Was it, here's the keys to the car, now it's yours? What was your collaboration with them and how at various points were they involved if they were? Steven, uh, Martin Scorsese uh, originally had the project, I think, 15 or so years ago. He was not uh, involved uh, in this movie uh, to a large he he was the he zoomed in for the we did a table read like uh, early on and then I showed him a, the movie um, maybe like uh, in June but that he was doing Killers of the Flower Moon and busy and uh, uh, and and you know what honestly I if I could go back I think I didn't want to bother him and that's on me I should have I didn't I felt like shy um, and I should have. Uh, but uh, Stephen was he came to set a couple of times, read drafts of the script, was very supportive. Um, but yeah, he's a creative person, so uh, it, it was it was a it was actually I feel like I grew up in many ways in this movie. I had to really, um, you know, it was clear this movie's kind of singular. It is one point of view, and uh, it was a blessing that he was there and 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 that he helped to for me to sort of stand by that. I think that was a beautiful thing that we went through. It, it did the movie in that post period you wrote I know there was a pre-existing script by Joss Singer. I know you guys reshaped it radically, basically soup to nuts. Yeah, I mean I we the, there was a different movie that Steven was going to make, but then I I asked Josh and he was kind of to come aboard but I was, um, I, I, we, we were starting from scratch, and I, I didn't even know if there was a movie yet that I could make, and it was only in researching it and being so en enthralled and, and intoxicated by these two people that then we start, that's where we started to write the script from. And did the movie find a different shape in post? No. No, the, the, so the movie we saw oh, yet yeah. it's yeah. It, it, quite faithful. It was, much more like, it was like uh, Tetris. It was more about like taking things out, replacing them. Oh, this where I heard music over this scene. Maybe it could go here instead. The sculpture was built. We built the sculpture while we were shooting the movie, and then it was more about um, refining the sculpture. Are you looking at cuts while you're shooting? No, no. But I'll but I'll um I'll look at scenes. Yeah, yeah. So well, so your editor would show you scenes. Yes. While you're shooting. Yes. Do you remember? Were there any tweaks or adjustments as far as your own performance, how you were shooting it? And the way always, you always. Even from watching, I mean, everything from even the still photographer. Uh, often he would. I'm like, I should have put the camera there. I literally had that experience today. <laughs> I was like, what were you thinking? Yes. <laughs> yes. That experience today. Tomorrow I won't make that mistake. Yes. Next job tomorrow. Where are you gonna shoot from? Okay. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> and did did I read that on both this and Stars Born, all of the music was recorded live during the shoot? Yes. Yeah. All the music that you see performed live. Yes. And you knew all Stars Born was just the vocals. All the vocals okay. were recorded. We sang everything live. For this... In those concert venues? Oh, yeah, man. Okay. It was crazy. Um, no shit. Yeah, it was nuts. It was yeah. Bonkers. But when uh, you're conducting in this church... Live. That was Ely Cathedral, and um, it was the same thing. And luckily, we had Steve Morrow. And, and it, this was a scary prospect, and um, many people didn't want us to do this. And we came across the same thing with the Stars Born. But um, in the end, I think everybody understood why, because you just can't fake that. It's clear that he is conducting them and it's happening in the moment that the film is, the camera's capturing it. I, I, I apologize for having you repeat an anecdote, but I heard this and I thought it was fascinating. You did a bunch of takes of that cathedral scene. Yes. The day ends, you rap. That's right. This thing was... Horrible. The, the fear, that the, the, the nightmare that you 
think won't happen happened when you mess it up. I ask you to tell. Yeah, yeah, sure. So in terms of this fearlessly thing, the first day of shooting, I, co- I did a bunch of coverage of him teaching William that scene, uh, but knowing I really only wanted that one. And the only other time that I did setups I didn't need was in Ely Cathedral, again, out of fear that I was, wasn't going to actually be able to conduct them for the full six and a half minutes that I would mess up, so I would need to cut by nature of the mess up. Um, so I had a cable cam, I had cameras, I had like Brian De Palma, this, that, you know, all, like four cameras. All the fancy. It never happened in the movie. And each, and we, we did it for a full day, and I kept messing up. I kept getting behind tempo. I kept forgetting to, to cue something. And then the minute that happened, you're, I'm out. Yeah. And then I'm like acting and this is the London Symphony Orchestra and they're just going like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then you feel that and it's, it's really the worst. And you know, some people say, ah, it's okay. Actually, no, it's not okay, dude. Like this is the moment where you see the shark. They've been talking about how great this guy is. And so if all of a sudden there's a scene where there's like seven cuts you know what I mean? That yeah. doesn't even fit the flow of the yes. movie. It's not how we're telling. By the way, it's not even what the scene's about. Mm-hmm. The scene is about her coming back to him and seeing that there's no hate in his heart. Yes. So what am I doing with all these cameras? I went to bed that night horrified, maybe thinking I could get away with it, texted the sound mixer, which is never a good thing to get a, a text from your director going like, do you think we have it? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, and he goes like, I think we could get, I think it, I think we do. And I'm like, yeah. I'm going to the makeup. We're supposed to shoot the exterior of the of cathedral the next day at night. So we have a techno crane for that shot because it was always going to be high looking down and her coming out of the car. I didn't wind up using that. I just used the, the exterior. So that was the only work of the day. Oh, and there was another scene where she, I, I filmed her coming up to the cathedral that I didn't wind up using. That was the day's work. I got there on set, and I'm, luckily I'm always there before. And I knew that it was, we didn't, I didn't have it. And I said, okay. Uh, and I was, I was, I gave myself one more chance. I thought you didn't work six years because I rehearsed six years. I worked on six years to be able to conduct that piece of music. And uh, there were 75 orchestra members and 85, I think, um, chorus, and then the extras. And I asked everybody to wait in the waiting room. In the, we're all in this cathedral. And I brought the techno, we wheeled the techno crane from outside through the bowels of the cathedral. And then I put on, I think it was a 27, I think, millimeter lens. I can't, I think so. And um, I had my iPhone. I said, Where do we, let, we have a recording of the music yesterday. So I had it on my iPhone. And, I'm, and I walked with the crew and Mango. And I just went like this, playing it and mapping out one shot. And that, because I was like, what is the scene about? It's about her. We have to see him. I want to see him see her without knowing it. And, and then, then reveal. And then, and then the reveal. And that's what the scene is. And don't give yourself any place to hide, Bradley, the actor. And so I asked everybody back in. I thought, well, at least if I do this, I've done everything I can. Because one thing I've learned is I've gotten older. Like, you, you just got to leave it all on the field. And then it's like, you know, I can't. I, what else am I going to do? They all came. I said, thank you, Lenny, which actually helped. I, I verbally said that in front of everybody, which also felt a little hokey. But I said it. And then, um, you know, and we started. And for whatever reason, I conducted them. It all worked all the way. And the, and the thing, and, and I remember they were coming. They were like, we got to get to her shoulder. Yes. <laughs> so they're dying. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And we had done the bow. We had done like the bowing. So I was like, we had somebody like this as we were coming across. No one hit the, the techno crane. Ah. It was great. But that was one techno crane shot, the whole thing. And then, and then it ended. And that, that applause, that, I mean, that was all just, like, real. <laughs> Maybe people were happy that we finally did it. I don't know. 
but then the, the timpanists came running up, I remember, and he's, and this is the London Symphony. I mean, they were beautiful, but like, you know, they're all unicorns. They're incredible. This is one of the best orchestras in the world. They've been doing this since they're four years old, you know, and you're like, yeah, it's terrifying. And he comes, and you're, and you're Leonard Bernstein. I mean, it's crazy. So he comes running up and he's like, he's like, so everything you did yesterday was total shit. Um, <laughs> I was like, I know. Uh, he goes, but you really just, you just conducted us. This is what should be in the movie and don't use anything from yesterday at all. And I was like, we won't, we won't. He goes, no, no, you really fucked up yesterday. <laughs> all day long, we sat there watching you, fucker. Oh, you just, you just conducted us. You just, I was like, good on you. And then he went back and it was like, oh shit. And that's what's in the movie. Wow. Yeah, it was beautiful. beautiful. It really was like beautiful. Oh man. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> it's crazy. I, I, I think I think we've got like time for one or two questions. Um, if anyone has a question, um, in the back row. Yes, you, sir. Thank you. Uh, congratulations on the movie. I was actually just curious, since you were speaking about the amazing orchestra scene, to know what the process was for you as an actor. You said it took you five years to prepare to conduct that scene so is it just learning the beats or actually learning to become a conductor for you what, what was the process um it was um it was it all sort of happened simultaneously you know working on the voice of lenny uh, writing his dialogue um um watching everything immersing oneself so the character starts to emerge so as that's happening i'm just tr literally trying to learn how to conduct that six minutes like how when when are the time changes what whatever your piece is doing that interpretation where Lenny slowed it down all, all of the actual just technical things of conducting those six and a half or whatever how long that is a piece of music so that when I got there it was Lenny that's already done I'm not doing any character work it is Lenny it's been Lenny the whole movie and so it's Lenny me trying to conduct this music live so it was really the easiest thing for an actor because it's like it's like when the scene you're opening the door, you're like, okay, so open the door. Don't act like you're opening the door. Just actually open the door. So it's like, no, conduct them. You know, so that's that's what it, conduct this in Ely Cathedral. Okay, let's go to Ely Cathedral. You mean like as I made it as easy as possible? Let's have the London Symphony. Oh, it is the London Symphony Orchestra. Okay, you know what I mean. <laughs> so it's just, and I do, by the way, I do that all the time. Anything you could do that so you're not acting uh, is 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 key. You know, my real doctor. You know. A anything you know your best friend is your best friend um mm. my dad did that thing with the toilet paper when he was dying so it was like that's real you know and that was perfect for her you know when when she makes little pocket squares yeah and she rejects one of those squares because yeah. it comes off imperfect yeah, yeah 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 i think we have time for a green sweater hi hi congratulations on the film um i really liked some of the transition shots that you had at the beginning the musical ones but there's one where it goes from color to black and white where you've got the big blind at the beginning and i i maybe i'm misremembering it but it just it seemed like i didn't realize you'd done a sleight of hand where it had been in black and white but the blind was down and it had come up and it, it was it was really impressive i just wanted your take on how you came up with that and yeah, your idea for it and how you did it. Thank you. Yeah, that that that's 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 sort of an that's sort of a. So I always wanted to have a prologue, much like a Star Is Born. It's like how can I get the audience to forget it's me and really believe that I'm a musician, so their their shoulders can relax. The first. 20 seconds of the film instead of going like ah, I don't buy it you know and it was the same thing with this movie it was like I have to like here's Leonard Bernstein everybody agree cool let's go huh. you know so it used to be a scene uh, in the script where he 
that I actually scouted for in Italy during a vacation, and he jumps into the water, and there was this great grotto that I found this proscenium that matched, and I was like, this is perfect. I'll go from that to black and white, and I'm going to make the exact same frame of the curtain, because that it was always going to be that scene where he gets the call at 9.30, and that's the transition to 133, but you won't notice it because it's dark, and then it's almost like we're opening up the curtain to his new life, and it's in black and white at that time. But because we, I didn't realize, I didn't want to shoot that in Italy, I then, uh, I instead want to do this thing when it's old Lenny, still scratching that itch of hopefully the audience going, holy shit, that's Leonard Bernstein. But I, I shot the proscenium, I found the same composition by putting the camera behind him that I could then cut to that same thing. So I maintained a visual, a cinematic idea, but just was able to use the, the, the means with which I had in this new shooting order to achieve that. But that's what that was. But you're right, it goes from color. We're actually in another room with the proscenium of the archway, and we're on his back, and then we go to black and white. Same cutout, but it's the sun coming through, which we don't realize is curtain. Hopefully it almost looks like you're on a stage or something, and you're just discombobulated is the hope until he pulls it away and then well, there's a guy there and then he's bet he's playing the drums in the guy's butt and then he's running down the hope is you're just sort of like completely floored and exhilarated by this life which is the whole idea of lenny at that time and then the movie slows down when she comes into the frame and then tethers him so that was always the idea well i know that we're out of time i'm sorry that we can't get to more questions i do want to thank you for being here. Yeah, thank, thank you. And Thanks thank for you, Bradley, through. on behalf of yeah. this audience, because it's been some amazing filmmaking in the last year, in the last several years, but rarely, I think, have we seen such formalistic and elevated craft blended with such fierce feeling, true feeling. And I'm grateful for it. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks. Sean. And Sean came. He's literally shooting a movie. So thank you so much. This podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear plenty more directors in conversation by subscribing on the usual streaming platforms. Follow us on social media and find out more about us at directors.uk.com. <laughs>